Well, last week we fixed racism. Uh, you're welcome from from white people. Uh, obviously joking. Uh, we had a rough week last week with Code of Honor. In fact, I, I even thought about just skipping the episode entirely because maybe the best shush of all is to set it on fire and move along home, um, a la Moraine. But uh, I did my best. And I look forward to the comments on on what I did with it. Uh, what did I do with it? Uh, I don't know because I haven't recorded that episode yet. We're doing these out of order. So uh, I'll, I've fixed racism for you last week, but I will actually be doing it probably a week after recording this because today we are on episode, I think they call it five, but it's the fourth one because Farpoint was a two-parter. We're at the last outpost where we get some our first introduction of the Ferengi and our first, introdu uh, first introduction to Armin Shimmerman, despite the fact they actually filmed Haven before this episode. So chronologically, he was on set before, but we see him for the first time here. But I'm not going to tackle this one alone. Third time's the charm. I have back with me a lifelong Star Trek fan from Los Angeles, the director of campaign operations for the Human Rights Campaign, available on all the socials at at only stands 85 once again with me to tackle the Ferengi Stanley Williams how you doing Stanley I'm doing much better fighting a cold but I'm 99 percent 99 percent well that's a better rating than this episode <laughs> yes yes so what what do you what would do you, do you remember your first contact with this episode like when you first saw it or anything uh, from it you know, it would have been when I was a kid and much less critical, thankfully. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, no, I think my memories of this episode are more on rewatching as an adult. Right. I remember I have very vivid memories of the energy whips. Oh, yes. And then, of course, I remember this was one of the figures in the first Playmates release. Yeah. They gave you a Klingon they said was Gowron and looked nothing like him. Um, a Romulan they said was a Romulan but looked everything like Tomalak. Uh, or no, not Tomalak, the the one in the defector who's on the planet with or the enemy, the one on the planet with Jordy. Oh, he looks I like him. His name. Nice. Um, I used to know his name, but, but starts with a B. It's either it's not Barack, but it's something like that. Or it's a B, B, it's two syllables. But, but whole, it'll come to me in the middle of this episode. Um, uh, shit, I, I will. I'm not going to look it up. I will remember it through this episode. It will come to me. I know some of you listening to this episode are screaming the answer right now at this mm -hmm. podcast. Um, pretty sure it starts with a B. So, um, and then it was it was this Ferengi whom I think they used the same head shape. Or mini Nog that came with Rom when they oh, made Rom and Nog. If you look at it, it's the same, it's just shrunk. Mm -hmm. And that means that that head works great as a custom Nog. Nice. Yeah, that looks great. Yeah, it looks a lot. So I'm holding up to camera for. So for those of you who are seeing this, 
you are uh, on the Patreon. Thank you very much. Patreon.com slash The Observation Lounge, where you can get exclusive videos, early access to videos, and video versions of this podcast. Um, so I just showed my custom figure of Deep Space Nine Nog. I've made two of him using that Ferengi head and different bodies. I've made the one in his Starfleet uniform. And out of my reach at the moment, I have uh, him in his cadet uniform as well. Um, so I remember that toy, which that comes from this episode that the look of that Ferengi mm -hmm. and it took until they did deep space nine figures to get a Ferengi the way like they're dressed, you know, through the rest of Berman era Trek. Yeah. Not this, this weirdness. I, I love their ship. Oh, the uh, ship's beautiful. Yeah. The, um, the whip thing is interesting if misplaced and misused like i remember seeing that toy as a kid too and like i mean we'll, we'll get into it there's, there's a lot about the ferengi in this episode that's like ugh. right so so i think most people listening to this episode know that the ferengi were originally intended to be the big bads of the next generation and after this episode went down like a lead balloon um everyone said no nope, no thanks something else and this would they would come back later i don't know if we did we see them in the second season i'm thinking we saw them in the the price the next time where they were negotiating for the bars on wormhole I can't remember anything before that. I don't think Menage Troy was before that. The bow. Oh, yes, I forgot. That is. And that's this season. Yeah. Um, right. I can't remember if they were in. I watched season two recently. I'm not recalling again. If they have been, someone is screaming at this podcast. Um, but yeah, they did not go over well. So it was abandoned. Um, and they were reinvented as the ultra uh, capitalist society uh, later. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, Armin Shimmerman, who would later become Quark, uh, was the, you know, the first Ferengi, um, which is fitting. And we would, of course, see, uh, I forget the actor's name, uh, Mark G name, uh, Matt or Mark G name is, um, uh, Rom. And he would be first introduced in Captain's Holiday as the Ferengi after, uh, Picard and Vash. Um, yeah, so Ferengi, Ferengi, Ferengi. Um, yeah, the whip. It's just not practical. Yeah. Like, How you gonna shoot flings in the right way? Shoot a laser beam from a whip. Yeah, it just makes no sense. Anyway, um, so let's do a quick summary of this episode, because if you are listening to a podcast like this, you have seen this episode probably at least three times. So what we get here, um, in pursuit of Ferengi marauders, the Enterprise and its quarry, what, what summary is this? Become trapped by a mysterious planet that is draining both ships' energies. So basically, they're chasing after the Ferengi because the Ferengi stole something, and they find that the Ferengi are trapped in some energy field, the Enterprise is trapped in another energy field, um, Frankie don't know that the Enterprise is trapped and they think that they've been caught and they eventually figure out that the energy drain is coming from the surface. They beam down to Crystal Planet, have a little battle between themselves, um, which they'll redo again in Hide and Q almost beat by beat. 
and um, just different colored sky, same rocks, uh, plus crystals. And they run into a um, a gatekeeper, a guardian, a a what caretaker of some sort. Star Trek loves the word caretaker. Uh, who is the gatekeeper of the Takan Empire, who doesn't seem to be aware that that was millennia ago and they don't exist anymore. And this is the last outpost of the Takan Empire. And then, and maybe Stanley, you'll explain this to me because I didn't quite understand it. There's some sort of, the Ferengi and, and Riker kind of plead their cases to the Takan Empire and Takan throws a spear at, at Riker and then, ah, you didn't flinch. And so you win. I don't know. It was weird. I don't. And then they let them go. Yeah. The 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 zhuzhening is needed. The zhuzhening is needed. Do you do you have a better explanation for why? I'll just why? Uh so I don't they don't say it explicitly. So this is one of those episodes, like some of even some of the best episodes of Trek, you need a little bit of headcanon to make mm. it make some sense. Uh, I believe the Guardian is also a mind reader, a telepath. Yes, I do remember that. What yeah. Riker was thinking is like, oh, Sun Tzu, let's let's test this battle strategy or whatever that this guy's thinking about to see if it's yeah, if he really believes it and whatever. Like that's that's my best effort. Something that I find really interesting, and I didn't watch a lot of TOS, I know, Clutch Pearls, um, uh, but something I find interesting about season one, particularly of Next Gen, and I wonder if it was true with TOS, is this, everyone is obsessed with Earth history, specifically Earth history. And you'd think that in the 24th century, where it's this melding of all of these different worlds of the Federation that like, maybe Riker has more knowledge and interest in the ancient Bolians than he does, you know, Earth people. Like, you'd think they'd have more varied interests in histories and things. Yes. And not just, and even the aliens always know, like, ah, I believe that is similar to your Shakespeare. Like, why does every alien know Shakespeare? Right, right, right. And, and like, it, where it works really well is Star Trek VI. Klingons having an interest in Shakespeare is incredibly interesting and deep and shows their tactical skill. Like we are learning about our enemy uh, and humans and Starfleet should do the same, particularly not about their enemies, but their own damn federation. Well, that's one of the things that I really liked about Picard because by painting him as an amateur, uh, archaeologist anthropologist he had interest in those cultures and then tim taking the role of the as jadich for wharf it got him like he knew about Cleon culture and it made him sort of the statesman that had a lot of varied interests and i liked that and i just thought more people like i always had a problem on voyager with tom being obsessed with like americana it's like is there literally nothing else are you that yeah. boring it always felt like a reason to bring in something from today. Like it, it's it's easier and cost production costs well, a reason to production. bring in sets and props that already exist from other productions that they yeah. don't have to custom build. Yes, for sure. Like when Voyager finds a truck floating in space. <laughs> yes, good lord. Yeah. Although I do, I do kind of love that episode. The thirty. Oh my no 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 no. Oh Amelia Earhart no. Yeah. The, the, um, the convenience of one of my one of my 
loving criticisms of Voyager is uh, not not leaning into their own premise. The the mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like the the number of times something from the Alpha Quadrant just happens to be on their path home. It like the odds of that are in the real universe is infinitesimally small. And so like, yeah, wait, like I love well, Trek when it's doing something new. That's actually something I love about this episode is like, they don't do it well, but they're doing something new. And, and it paid dividends in the end. Yes. Because the yes. Ferengi became like the, I would say the third pillar um, um, race culture of Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. right? Bajorans, Cardassians, Ferengi, and then I'd probably say the Dominion because the Ferengi were around a little longer. Yeah. Um, but like very rich storytelling. I mean, they had the the drag episode, which they can keep. But other than yeah. that, they had a lot of really great stories out of Ferengi. So had not this episode happened, we may not have ever had Quark, Ram, and Nog. Yeah, and it's... Something that's great about franchises is you like new storytellers coming along in 10, 20 years will be able to pick up on stuff from here. Like, you know, well, um, in Picard, I loved yeah. Sneed. I thought yes. that was a great take on a now I didn't love that. I had a real problem. And oh, by the way, subscribers, I will be doing a Patreon only recap of the 10 episodes of Picard season three. So look out for that on Patreon, just for Patreons. Uh, but one of my issues with it, with Picard season three was with Sneed getting his head chopped off unnecessarily. Because to me, that was still an element of like new Trek of just like, we just want to see a head fall off. Uh, make him do it. Instead of it being justified because... He could, he had a phaser. He just sat and went to phaser. Yeah, and well, he swords ha- are fun. And then when that happened in episode 10, I was like, okay. Okay, now I, I'm I wanted, fine with it. I, I did that one extra line there of saying, like, um, he could have just stunned everybody and saved her. And uh, on on the Twitter space that I hosted that week, uh, my co-host made the, the apt uh, observation that well, uh, he's it was Starfleet intelligence that became not just a rescue mission that became a cleanup mission, and so you except but, but, but then you need had like, intel because even yes. Rafi made the comment of like, well, if you wouldn't chop his fucking head off, then I think we'd probably know what was going on. But it was very Worf, very Worf. I I am a a, a known Worf hater. Um, although, I used to be, but when I, as three, I grew up, I became yeah yeah. Season three made me like Worf a lot more. Uh, that was still a mistake, I thought. I, and I thought uh, it, it gave them an opportunity to have a different kind of Vulcan, which I thought was cool, but ended up being, I felt it maybe a little unnecessary. Like they could have just kept Sneed and re- replaced that whole aspect of it. But like, I I, I loved it overall. Um, but right. Well, the reason they yeah, were too the is because Terry wanted to pull in his two friends from 12 Monkeys. So. And, and, it, and it worked out really well. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah, there's, but there's notice, a lot to say about that season. <laughs> exactly, and why we're veering away from this episode, because I don't know how much there is to say about this episode, which seems quite light. So yes. we've gone through the summary. Basically, it wanted to set up the Ferengi as these sort of, you know, it had the elements of of what the Ferengi became in terms of the ultra-capitalist and and data uses a reference like they're like the something something of earth and it's like okay data like what a weird reference that um whole section 
Uh, well, I, I'm holding my tongue on something that is getting is going to the fucking brig. I don't want to mm. bring it up yet, and I'm sure you have it too. But uh, 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 yeah, so the idea of them as ultra capitalists and wanting to bargain and trade and all of that stuff um, is inter is set there, and that from the start, you know, when you set up next gen as the first episode establishes that like. Whether or not Q is showing up and Q is is interacting, the show is still set up as an example of the advancement of humanity. And so to have who we now know the Ferengis to be, to be a contrast to that, to sort of be the worst version of our current capital society, is good and interesting and could have been done really well on Mm -hmm. Next Gen. But then when they finally leaned into it, they really played it more for comedy. The yeah. Of buffoons. And I honestly think that has to do with the costume design. Yeah, absolutely. I have I have that in my zhuzhening, like lean, leaning into the capitalism of the Ferengi and not the buffoonery. Because if they were not big-eared trolls who were on set directed to uh, Armin Shimmerman's quote is saying we were act we were told to act like jittery gerbils. If that was not the direction the and they stuff. Yes, and they didn't look so so goofy, then maybe they would have been intimidating and could have been, you know, beefed up later. But mm-hmm. the look, I think the look did the most disservice to that plan. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it didn't work. And the Takan Empire was, ne- I don't think has ever been referenced again in, in canon, beta canon, I know. Oh, have we seen it again? Uh, we haven't, I don't think, but I just saw today on Twitter, uh, Trek Twitter famous uh, Yerk Hildebrand, hopefully I said that correctly, yes. um, eagle-eyed viewer for years, he's the one on Twitter who will post like, here's this plexiglass screen from episode 203, and here it is six seasons later in the captain's quarters. Incredible eye to de- uh, for detail, uh, b- very appropriately hired by Star Trek Picard in season two and three as a researcher. Uh, a lot of really cool details ended up in the show mm-hmm. thanks to his eyes. Uh, he noticed and actually just re-watch- is rewatching this episode today as well. And I saw just before we started recording, the Takan Empire is apparently going to be uh, some uh, an aspect of the, uh, the new Star Trek Resurgence game that's coming out next Tuesday. He oh, knows okay. their little emblem is in the the teaser poster for the game. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And so, I'm sure they've showed up in Star Trek Online. I I think so. It, it's Probably. been a while since I played. Usually like, I, I love Star Trek Online. I play through it once, but then like it the, the new stuff, but then it gets a little it gets a little repetitive. It does. Uh, but it's still fun once a new episode comes out. So I'm I'm constantly replaying. And um, but I don't remember them ever referencing it because if we reference one of those empires, it's usually the Iconians. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about them. Or the, but we won't really talk about the Tacon or, or the. I think they're called the. There's the. Uh, who are the ones who part of the the Romulus expansion was really awesome. I think I think they're called the Solene. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but like they're them. they're. The, there were touches of secret empires from eons past, but I don't think Takan ever came up. Well, and then of course in the chase we have whoever these progenitors are, the ones who 
who how Star Trek explains why we're all just humans with funny foreheads. Yes, that is a beautiful episode that it is just so happens to say uh, production costs are what they are. Deal with it. Right. And because which is why I think in Picard season three, all the other changelings were just in bird masks. But um, uh, uh, and that gave us the chase gave us I'm, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, but I think it's Salome Jens. Mm hmm. Who played so. then the female shapeshifter who basically looks almost identical. Yeah. Uh, great. So anyway, we keep getting away from this episode. So um, let's go through, before we judge the episode, let us go through what has the con, as in what we like and what we will likely keep, and what goes to the brig from this episode. Uh, Stanley, feel free to start us off with either, and then I'll take the alternate. Sure. Um, so... Overall, I think a fun mystery attempt is happening here with a little bit of deflection of who the real bad guy is or the real um, the real problem. Uh, there's some cool use of future tech that they would end up abandoning with the hol holograms. There's some humor in this episode, but uh, I've got to give my first who has the con to Deanna. Uh, We'll talk more about that in the Zhuzhening. Deanna is the one who says, you know, y'all have been ignoring the planet right below us, right? And then we start to realize, oh, yeah, it's the planet, not the Ferengi. Uh, so Deanna is my first person who has the con in this episode, for sure. When she's when her powers actually are useful. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so I'll go to the brig. And before you say it, I'm going to say it. That Chinese finger trap, go fuck yourself. Yes. So bad. Who thought yes. of that? Yes. One, kids playing in the observation lounge. How did that happen? Mm -hmm. Two, like the way to get to the observation lounge is isn't it through the bridge? Or even that, even that secondary hatch on the But doesn't on, that go to the bridge it's too? It's still deck one, like wherever it is. I don't, I've never this is something I wrote down later. <laughs> when they go out one side, that the the side that they shoo the kids out of seems to That's be the hallway side yeah and then the opposite side is the one to the bridge i thought maybe um, i just the hallway i guess episodes. goes to the turbo lift or something i don't know I, yeah. I have the blueprint so i can look it up but um but why would the kids be playing the kids there? Be... So many cool things. Like, go to Cetacean Ops. That's where I would be playing. I want to see the, the turbo lift lifts. would never allow them to get there. Yes. It would not they would not be able to call the turbo lift to take them to the bridge. Yeah. Uh so that was weird. And then the, the, the and there is such inconsistency with what data knows and what he doesn't know. Mm -hmm. The idea that that Starfleet Academy graduate who is can download tomes of information and has most of the ship's computer in his brain does not know what a Chinese finger trap is. And couldn't, and, just, and, rip and couldn't just one rip it off or two look at it and quickly understand like oh and uh, okay like yeah. you'd think he'd be able to figure that out yeah wild the whole it, trans figure trap thing is wild yeah it would if they were going to go with that specifically a different character who had never encountered that toy as a child like oh i don't i don't get what this is because that's not how like my brain works anymore. I'm not a child. I never seen one of these, but not data. 
Let me tell you, if they, if that would have been in a script in the third season or fourth season, it would have been Worf and he would have tore it out of frustration. Yes, yes. And it would have been funny. Yes. I Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's so weird. Just weird. And it meant nothing. Like, they, I guess they kind of used it for the analogy of, like, what's happening to the ship. But it was like... Yeah. I, I, I never think it was made exp- that connection, but like it wasn't explicit. It was like implied. It was like because they they because Jordy's talking about how you know the countervailing forces are what keeps them you know together, which is the Chinese finger. And I, it makes me think there was a scene where that that gave them the idea about that or something. Yeah, it just felt so out of place. It, it felt like filler. They're like, we have we have half of an episode. How do we expand this a little bit? And someone's kid on set just had one, and they were like, "Oh, <laughs> let's let's use this." Yeah. Weird. In the brig. Right. Into the so brig. Ju- so now you send something to the brig so I can be nice next time. Uh, well, the Ferengi. Um, <laughs> they they need some zhuzhening, which we'll get to. But um, they they're in the brig. The yeah, just. Not the Ferengi in general, but like this introduction to the Ferengi. We, we've already talked about it, but I had them on my list for the Ferengi. But so uh, here's something new we haven't talked about. The the lack of more of the Takan. Like mm-hmm. we get a reference to them. This is their last outpost. But the only thing there, and again, I know that this is a production thing and the cost. Uh, but the only thing there is this weird guardian. Uh, no, uh, no random, out, no actual outpost. It's just the planet. So that's in the brig. I want I want to see actual outpost. I want to see their technology. I want to see why would the Ferengi go into this planet? I don't want it to be just random, which again I keep alluding to my zhuzhening. It also doesn't make sense that he's the he is the guardian for the entrance to the empire and he's sitting on this rando planet as if every ship had to pass by this particular planet in this particular solar system Mm -hmm. to gain like there's a gate there to gain entry it should have been some sort of station on a perimeter and it's like the last one operating at what used to be a grid of barriers to an area of space and then you don't have a planet and it's just this at first undetected but then they they are able to scan it eventually and it comes or it decloaks or it whatever. To me, it would be, and this comes to my zhuzhing, take from alien uh, uh, space station creature above Injustice, above Edo, mix it with um, the hologram in the arsenal of freedom. Yeah. That's a better version of what they tried to do with this Takan thing in my view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, what has the con, dis- with the exception of the conversation about sedating Wesley before he dies, the power drain on the ship, mm. seeing them have to like hunker down, seeing the lights go out, the inter- environmental, was it done a million times better in No Win Scenario in Picard Season 3? Absolutely. But that concept of seeing that happening on a ship we don't really see that very we see ships that are that are damaged that you know places can't be accessed or things aren't working but like the actual like oh we're all going to die there's no energy left and everything is shutting down i don't think we've seen that a whole lot 
mm-hmm. not enough to become a trope in Star Trek. Yeah, and I, I like that. one of the aspects I liked. Um, I I think they could have flushed it out a little bit better. Um, like, why are they all in the observation lounge now and not like hunkered down in crew quarters or whatever? But um, the sedating Wesley was an interesting aspect of it. Like, I I see the mother's instinct. Like, what what do we do about the children? How do we ease their suffering? Like, if if you're gonna go there, like, go there. Have have the conversation. Like, don't just make it about her saving or her her easing the suffering of her child. Like, have a there could be a conversation where it's like, hey, we're just gonna talk about this. I'm not suggesting anything, but like, if we don't get out of this, we've got kids on board. How do how are we gonna ease them? how are we going to ease their pain through this if if that's something that they feel like they need to be doing in the first place well and maybe it's just because i'm a child hating monster but why wouldn't that be true of any why wouldn't everyone be sedated like we're going to all sedate ourselves you know right. at the point of the end so that we all don't die horribly yeah the only thing that immediately comes to mind is like in case the adults can right right but yes yes um, I would essential personnel, regardless of age. Let's let's put them to sleep. I Actual throw this sleep, not death. Right. I throw this out entirely, so it won't come up in my judge. But talking about it now, it would have been better if it were a. Oh, sorry. There's a someone revving their engine outside my apartment. Um, if Picard went to Beverly, cons- like, where's you know, is Wesley okay? Like being concerned about Wesley and her saying that she had sedated him that she had done it in her own discretion and him sort of being, you know, having his stupid, a man should face death, blah, 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 stupid thing. And her basically saying, that's none of your fucking business. I'm his mother. Uh, <laughs> I think that would have been a better, if you want to keep that. Um, That'd be a fun book ending with a card. Yeah. Like she made a decision. You can understand, you could disagree with it. You could agree with it, but um, yeah. Right. More depth for Beverly early on would be great. Anything else have the con for you? Uh, uh, I put down new things. Like I, I love Star Trek when they're trying new things, whether it works or not. Like all, all of the newer shows are trying new things and like give me any of the, any episode and I can find something new that like, I like that, something that I don't, whatever. But uh, I appreciate trying to expand things and mm-hmm. not just regurgitate what we've already seen in in a Star Trek universe. Right. Uh, but uh also Tasha. Tasha being badass. Um, they didn't give her much, but we got a little bit of badass Tasha in this dealing with the Ferengi on the planet. Um, I would have loved a little bit more, obviously, but of course I love Tasha. So we've talked about most of my Briggs even through other conversations. The only one I have left is the same thing I sent to the Brig for Encounter at Farpoint, which is the way that Picard talks to Riker like he's an idiot like I just just the way that they discuss tactics and this and that it's it's like like Riker was he not the first officer of the hood he was the first officer of the hood because the whole thing came down to like I I chose you because you wouldn't let the captain go down on a mission blah 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 blah. so he was first officer of the hood He's done this before. He's done it for other captains. Why are you talking to him like he's just out of the academy? Right. Uh, interesting juxtap- or, uh, flip side, not flip side, similar 
uh, I didn't put it in the break, but I, I was going to mention it somewhere in here. Throughout the first season, and I think a little bit into the second, um, I love Jonathan Frakes, but in these first couple of episodes and seasons, he does a little bit of shout acting that feels yes. a little odd. He, he has, and he goes, in this episode in particular, he, he goes up and down at his volume at like a very weird cadence. Uh, particularly when he's talking with data about the Ferengis, like Yankee traders. What do you mean Yankee traders? It's like, it, it, it's weird cadence for sure. And that any Understood. of them would know what a Yankee is. Like right. everyone learned that in history class in the 24th century. Mm-hmm. It'd be such a minor blip in overall history. Uh, um, the only time I really liked it was in Attached, which is one of my favorite episodes, where Beverly says something like, well, what if one of the old nation states, like Australia, like mm-hmm. I thought that was f- like fun because it's future and like it yes. kind of references. That made sense to me, but to just to, to talk about the Yankees as if, like other than World War II, the World Wars, I think would be things everybody would know. But like the minor, you know, I don't know. I just think it's so minor, no one should know it. Even even people in America, like th- there's a lot of American history we do teach that I think could be around so that we could teach some real history of this country. Oh, for sure. But the the Yankee traders would be like one of them. Like we don't we don't need to know. No, it's it's weird. Um so the last thing I have, so that was all the brig. Do I have anything else on my list? Oh, just um even though we don't like the Ferengi. I say give the con to Armin Shiverman, who did the best he mm-hmm. could do, and we're happy to have him. I do like Always. establishing their treatment of of women because I think that's such an important yes. part to the Ferengi and their um, hearing. And their hearing, mm-hmm. um, though it is kind of stu- like just because they have big ears yes. means they have sensitive hearing. It's so like okay. Well, there was the uh, the data data says treater, and he and the daemon could hear that like. Yes, definitely the yeah. big ear thing is a little much, but at least... I, it was better kids. when they turned them into genitals later. Yes. That yes. is funny and, and yes. interesting and weird. Yes, umaks. Um, umaks. Uh, but the other thing I'll say is I liked um, the Ferengi first officer. Mm-hmm. I liked the sort of first officer first officer to first officer kind of like rapport that he had with Riker in a way that I don't, I don't know. I, it it wasn't, it's not the right episode. What they had to talk about wasn't interesting. Just the very concept of like Riker appealing to the person in his position on the other ship. Yeah. And having like the rapport of both being in the same position, despite, you know, being on different sides of it and being able to have that like line between you because of that commonality, yeah. I just think is a very interesting thing. And I, I actually really liked that actor and that performer mm-hmm. performance. I was like, Oh, this guy, I like this guy. This guy's good. Yeah. I wish they yeah. had kept, kept that going throughout their scenes together. Cause then um, the, the first interaction with the Ferengi and the guardian was fine, whatever. But then later as the guardian is clearly favoring Riker's perspective, they're like, well, we we told them that. They're like, he's he's just repeating something we said. Like, why are we, ma- if you want to make this the enemy of this show, why are you making them so stupid? Like, does not work. 
All right. Well, I think that means it's time to judge this thing. Mm. All right. So let's set our phasers to judge. As always, the guest gets to go first. So Stanley, you got five-ish minutes on the clock. How are you judging the last outpost? Well, thank you very much. Uh, so I've got a lot of chicken scratch here, and I, I wasn't able to put it in a proper format. So if I was if I was giving a treatment to a studio, this would not be how I present it. But um, this episode is going to be two things. It's going to be a, De- a Deanna episode, and it's mm. going to be a clear juxtaposition between capitalism with the Ferengi and the Federation non-capitalism. Um, I'm going to cut a good chunk of the stuff before we actually get to the planet or make it shorter. Um, the briefing will be shorter. Keep in the stuff about how the, the drain on the ship is affecting the crew because like that's upping the stakes and it's important. Uh, but I'm going to uh, yeah, cut a lot of the stuff before getting to the planet. Uh, and like the the stuff with Riker and Data talking about Yankee traders, like we were just talking about, like that's that's getting the axe. Um, there's going to be more for Deanna realizing the Ferengi deception. The Ferengi are going to be introduced as uh, as the the barbaric rumor that we've heard, but it's going to be on purpose. The Ferengi are so distrustful of the Federation because they don't have a monetized economy that they have, they themselves, so that they could hoard profit in these other sectors, have spread this rumor that they're barbaric and that like you want to avoid them at all costs so that they can uh, hoard the profits wherever they find them. Uh, so it's it's a tactical decision to, uh, to hoard wealth. And that's the connection to the real world is billionaires hoarding wealth, uh, right. acting like well, we can't pay workers appropriately because then it like whatever and trickle down economics will will, will save us all. Don't worry about it. Right. Um, Deanna is going to be the one who starts to unravel their deception. Like she she senses that he's holding something back, and then there will be more between Deanna and the Ferengi. She's going to go down to the planet. She's going to be the one who's going to be the primary lead. Like Riker will still be in charge and have the Sun Tzu moment with the Guardian, but Deanna is going to be the one who's like communicating for the most part and negotiating between the two sides. We're going to establish Counselor Troy as not just a therapist counselor, but a diplomat counselor. Uh, sort of the, the duality of her role will be uh, fleshed out in this episode. Um, the Ferengi, like the device that they stole, is going to be. Uh, purposeful, not just random. And on the planet, there's like whatever device they steal, the, it was a power converter of some kind. I'm going to say they needed it or change the device entirely to be like a better scanner to find the actual outpost on the planet. Uh, they're going to the planet to pillage it for profit. They want to sell off the technology. They they, they think the Takat Empire is dead as well. And mm-hmm. they're they're shocked when the guardian shows up. They're like, "Oh shit! We thought like we we were going to sell this technology. We didn't know you were going to be here." Um, and yeah, the um, the guardian is like it needs to be explicitly stated that he is also a telepath, um, like 
some kind of artificial telepath like give us that weird mystery that's not fully explained but a little bit more than we got in this episode and that's how he and deanna connect telepathically and that's the first bridge and it's like you are you you are different than even your the the rest of your people your your own first officer here has tactical stuff on his brain and she explains that's his role on our ship it's not for offensive purposes it's defensive and that's when he does his weird axe thing to prove it and it just it she she ties in all of those pieces a little bit more neatly and that is my zhuzhening little all over the place this week but no i i was surprised you made it a deanna episode because she she has an important thing to do but otherwise doesn't feature very prominently um i'm gonna fix that we're gonna fix that um yeah i i like i'm surprised you kept the the uh guardian axe throwing um i'm glad you cut all the stuff leaving up to uh leading up to the planet i assume though that as they fly away oh or that at as the power is being drained from the ship beverly hands every child a chinese finger trap to keep them busy yes yes excellent excellent yes oh yeah i should have said i'm leaning into the finger trap puzzle not cutting it entirely they throw them at the ferengi and they get stuck in them and that's how they're incapacitated oh god all right so my judge so i'm starting from the standpoint of what is this episode about like what is what is this about because i can't really answer that the last outpost other than introducing the ferengi showing that the federation is benevolent through its um portal i think is what they call it by the takan portal yeah i'm throwing that away what i'm making it is a it is about working with other people who you find their morals and values and society to be repugnant needing to find somehow way to work together to solve a problem that impacts both of you um the key of that so it's a Riker episode about diplomacy and this is going to be him learning from this is how he learns from Picard because he is he thinks tactically and he thinks this and that and it's through him and Picard working together that he sort of gets the benefit of Picard's experience and becomes a better diplomat in this episode um I the center of it just what what we get to and the main crux of it is they find out possibly from the Takan representative himself so they are holding them there the the outpost which for me is not a planet it's a it's a remaining piece of once a light years long network of outposts and stations that blocked off this area of space it's like the only one left and for some reason still operating it put out some sort of pulse particle beam something that incapacitated that trapped the two ships in this in in and though we're not going to have it but in a chinese finger trap like thing that if they each try to pull away they're pulled back to each other and they're just kind of stuck there um it's the gate's way to keep people out unless they've approved entry and they eventually learn by talking to the portal that like well we're not holding you here this is what's done is done 
Mm. And that's just the way it is. And unfortunately, the only way that any of you could get out of it is if one of you blew up the other, it would, you could ride that wave away. Okay. And it's, it's Riker and Picard basically, instead of the axe throwing and all of that, it's them basically like, we won't do that. The Frangi will and are trying to figure out how, mm. but they won't. They, everyone on the ship knew the, the risks of, of, of traveling in space. Yes, we have children on the ship. Yes, this and that. We will not destroy another life form to, regardless of what we think about them and who they are, we won't do that. Um, you know, we live by our ideals. And you find that this was one of the, you know, like the Minotaur. This was the test. Mm-hmm. And so he can release them and he does. Nice. Um, and it creates a first reticent first contact between the Ferengi. Like the Ferengi still don't like them. They obviously don't like the Ferengi based on what they've now learned about how they treat women and capitalist society and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. But it sets itself up that they're not like going to be at war with each other. Yeah. They're just, they're, it's a tepid first contact because they didn't end up destroying them. Um, anything else I have in here? Yeah, the Frankie are there because they want the, the riches. They don't need to steal a thing and have the Enterprise, you know. They both responded to the same thing that attracted them to that outpost. Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's it. I that like is it. my judge. Because yeah. I don't think, especially, I just, all of the things in season one, one of the things I would really want to fix that was fixed later was the Picard-Riker dynamic. And if you're yeah. going to have Picard be the elder mentor of this young, fresh officer, whom they never explicitly say it, but the reason Picard might like Riker is Riker's a lot how Picard was. Mm-hmm. before, And so he might see his younger self in Riker. Yeah, more brash, more more prone. Like, and we'll see this in Tapestry when he was younger. Right. He was quick to throw a punch. And a ladies man and like all of that. So fleshing out that kind of, maybe even having a conversation about that at some Mm -hmm. point of stilted one, but one that just reveals why Picard is taking such a mentorship role to Riker. Yeah, just establishing just happen, but they don't make it happen in an organic way. Like that's the that's the relationship they end up with. Right. In this season, we we could have seen a lot more of like how they got there. And that's because, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and, you know, but, you know, at that time, everything was just plot driven with archi- archetype characters playing out the roles. It wasn't until season three that the episodes became about the characters. And it had to be um, episodic, like more so than even episodic television today, like Nobody needs to know anything about anything to watch this episode at, in their random city when it's on at 4 p.m. on Sunday. In any distribution order that the local network wants to do it. Yep. They just made it as, as sellable as possible since they didn't have a home network to put it on. Yeah. Which I have to say probably made it like, I don't understand why more TV isn't being made that way today because keeping because it kept there was no real there was some but like the studio the network interference 
mm-hmm. in scripts. Like there was studio because Paramount was making it, but like you didn't have the network and people like coming down to set and changing things and saying what could and couldn't be done. There was probably a little bit more freedom. Yeah. So. I mean, good on them for like at least leaning, like they made the decision to make this a syndication only model and they they leaned into that hard and like stuck with that decision. Something that's, I always find frustrating is when like, if you make a decision, like just like you got to stick with it. I, I come from the campaign world. So you can, I've been able to notice like, oh, they clearly thought this was going to go differently. And now they're floundering instead of just like sticking with their, their, like the, the Obama campaign, particularly in 2008, did this very well. Like they were not rocked by the controversy of the week. They're like, we will respond to this, but from our actual plan and messaging, we're not going to flounder every time somebody throws something at us because right. that's that's how the opposition is always going to try and get you. I feel like the same the same model can be applied to business decisions and even creative decisions. Like. If you're right. going to change something, you need to have a good reason. Otherwise, like, why even have your outline? If 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 you're not going to follow right. your own model, then what are, what are, what are we doing? Well, but with NextGen, the the syndication, from how I understand it, it wasn't a choice. It was none of the networks wanted it, mm. and they were going to make it anyway. So it was like, a, okay, well, I guess we're going to do it this way, and it ended up being you know, the best decision for them. I don't know if Next Gen would have made it after a network probably would have canceled it after season one or two. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yes. Which is what happened, you know, to Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, Enterprise would have probably kept going if it didn't have a parent network. I think it was another reason that, you know, Voyager may not have worked because instead of being sold to syndication, it was like the UPN show. So you had to have UPN and that wasn't broadly available in all these markets. Yeah, and you had to have those weird tie-ins. Like The, the Rock was on Voyager because they were leading into a wrestling match. Oh, big yikes. Oh, boy. These studios, like, give give the creatives everything along. This writer strike that's probably going to go on a lot. We're, we're in week three for the listeners like of the 2023 writer's strike it's likely going to go much longer because the studios are very short-sighted like i don't know if they're short-sighted i think they know that if they budge on this they lose in the long term like there's so much opportunity for them to make so much money and not have to pay these people that they they just they want to hold fucking firm and change I, how the industry works. I, I think you're right about that. That that's their thinking, but I don't yes. think that that is correct. I don't. Oh think no, I don't agree with them. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I don't agree. I, with I, I know you don't. Yeah, but um, I I think about um, uh, Senator Senator Wellstone had this quote during his campaigns: "We all do better when we all do better." Mm-hmm. Like the studios are going to make money hand over fist if they have great content. They are going to make a little bit less, I would say, if they have less desirable content. But everybody is going always like, e- even in hard times, we want entertainment. We cut back on our entertainment budget. That's the that's the first thing that gets cut. But we we need an escape because this world, right. su- the simulation sucks, and we need that escape. So, like. I mean, I, I'm as I'm as lefty as they come in in this regard on capitalism. 
but I also want to make money. I live in a capitalistic society. Yeah. So like I get the impetus. And the, the problem is when your your sole metric of success is how much money your shareholders are making versus steady like the 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 phrase in um in business circles of exponential growth and right. scale rather than like if I had a business, I don't want exponential growth. I don't I don't want to be constantly trying to keep up with my market. I want steady growth. Right. I want manageable growth. I want balance, but I'm well, I'm out of step with business in that and- way. And I know we're, we're, for those of you who we are done judging the episode, so for those you don't want to hear me talk about, hear us talk about uh, capitalism, feel free to tune in next week. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining us. But the thing I always say to this is, so my background is as an attorney, and I remember in, in you know, I don't practice this kind of law, but the problem is this, the way the system is set up with respect to fiduciary duties mm-hmm. from the managers and the directors to the company, to the shareholders. There is a case that we read in law school where a CEO made a decision that was less lucrative for the company, but more environmentally friendly, and the shareholders sued him for f- breaching his fiduciary duties to them because the system is set up that you must always act in the benefit of the shareholders, and that is the most amount of money now. Yeah. Um, it's the way the it's set up. Is- yeah, and that's, that's the model. That we need to fix that model. And the yeah. only way that you can get around that is if you are a privately owned family company who you're 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 making the decisions and it's yours and you don't owe anything to anybody. Then yeah. you can act how you want to act. Mm-hmm. But once you get to that level of scale, you can't you can't. And that is where why we need regulation and government to draw the the boundaries of that sandbox you can play in so that, yes, you can do anything you want, but we're drawing the lines of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Yeah. But we deregulate because sometimes bad things are more lucrative and yep. people care more about the lucrative than they care yep. about doing well for society. Anyway, what? No, my dog's upset. I think that we're, he's barking. He's like, Jack talking about politics Absolutely. now i'll get all these comments stick to star trek stay out of politics <laughs> can't wait to yes. read all of those totally non-political trek since 1966 that's right um i'm trying to think of a good segue out of this but um <laughs> yeah i got nothing well uh, so we also know at the time we were talking about the writer strike sag actors have also just authorized the ability mm-hmm. to strike so they have that ability. They have not gone on strike. Maybe by the time of this airing, they have. But, um, you know, the and the other issue is, yes, they're going to make, you know, they're trying to turn writing into what everyone is trying to turn all labor into, which is a gig economy. Yeah. Day Everyone's going to be at day rate 1099s, no benefits. Um, no longer a career. It's just something you do on the side. You'll you'll write this TV show, you'll drive an Uber, you'll work at Starbucks, and you'll cobble all that together to live in a one-bedroom apartment with three roommates. Yeah. And don't complain they want. about it because if you don't like it, move elsewhere. There do are other something people else. who get a better it. job. Like, yep. Bootstrap. Bootstraps. Oof. Bootstraps. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, maybe we need like a side podcast where we talk about lefty things bridge you know, from Star Trek. It's so funny. My my buddy Matthew, he's a he's a professor of political science. Um, 
he he was planning to, and I think he still is planning to do a podcast about the politics of Star Trek. Ooh. Um, he, uh, uh, I don't know who the other person is, but Mary Trump yeah. is going to be doing a podcast with somebody about the politics of Star Trek. And he sent that wow. to me. And I felt bad for him because it, it reminded me of his his dissertation had to change because someone else published what his idea was going to be. I was like, oh man, this keeps happening to you, buddy. Well, the good thing about Trek is, listen, if I, if I, so many other people do this podcast. In fact, I just found another Star Trek podcast that uses the same cover art that I used for the first season where Sean oh. and I had our heads as the two captains in the Generations poster. Oh, right. Yeah. That was our icon. And then mm. to, like last week I go online and there's a more popular Star Trek podcast that does that. I was like, God damn yeah. it. Everything but, is derivative of everything else. We live in 2023, not 1901 with the first right. whatever. It's fine. But all Trek people want more Trek people talking about Trek. And yes. the more the merrier. So tell your friend, do I it. Have. People will listen to both. doing it. Yes. And in fact, I bet he will have better insights than Mary Trump. Although she is not her brother. Sh- shots fired at Mary Trump. Shots yeah. fired. I'm sure she's fine especially in comparison but uh. all right well we will leave all of you to go uh check out mary trump's <laughs> star trek podcast i hope you'll join us back up. here in the observation lounge uh for star trek generations next week where i'll do the next episode which i don't have handy with me but you know it's probably another stinker uh ooh, what is it what's one oh, no. i think it's where no man has gone before oh the groomer excellent so what? uh where where the traveler grooms <laughs> Wesley. Oh god. Yeah. Speaking of bringing 2023 nonsense into the zeitgeist, God. Traveler's the original groomer. So we will get to that next week. Uh until then. You can, for those of you who don't have the video, Stanley's facial reaction, his reaction oh god. is priceless. Uh Stanley, where can people find you? Um, uh, I am on most socials at OnlyStands85. You can find me over at OBS Lounge ST, OBS for Observation, Lounge ST for Star Trek. And until next week, get the hell off my bridge. And-